movies, life, and in this episode, A Knock at the Cabin, starring Dave Bautista and directed by M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> okay, uh, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't hold that. I, I, I couldn't hold that. It's not that I can't be serious. I, I can be. I can be. Seriously, I promise. It's not just, you know, doing jokes all the time, but I, I just... I, I had to try something else, okay? So, yeah, I'm stretching my voice acting a little bit and doing a, a Dave Batista impression, I guess. I don't know. Did that work? We'll find out as we continue on with today's episode of Screen Speak. Okay, actual serious introduction for you all. Welcome, welcome to Screen Speak. It is the podcast that is all about movies, life, and so much more. I'm Jordan Anderson, not Dave Batista. This is my podcast. Welcome to it. Thank you so much for coming by and giving it a listen. If it's your first time checking out this podcast, well, I will ask you to do what I would ask any first-time person of the podcast to do, and that's to follow the podcast and support it through social media or however else you'd like to do it, uh, but namely hitting the follow button so that you are subscribed to the podcast on whatever it is that you're listening to this on. You can do that. You can hit the bell, so that way you get notified when new episodes drop, so that is definitely good unless you're avidly going into your podcast app every day and you're just hitting that refresh, and you're like, oh my god, please, did ScreenSpeak upload a new episode? Uh, hopefully you don't sound that uh, frantic when you're trying to listen to the podcast. I, I'm not trying to put people on edge, okay? I just, I, I want to talk about movies, and I want you to connect with movies, and so on and so forth. So, uh, yeah, I think that made sense, right? It made sense. I'm deciding that it did, and we're going to proceed. Uh, so please go ahead and do all of those things if your first time, if if this is in fact your first time checking out the podcast, and if you've been here before, well, you know the drill. And if you haven't done those things, well, come on, what are you waiting for? Go ahead and do those things. This is a great podcast. Uh, of course, I would say that because I'm running this. But seriously, this is a good podcast. I have a lot of good content that I bring you on movies, and I want to continue to do that. And I want to continue to grow the platform and get it to more ears across America or across the world for that matter uh so we'll see where that goes but anyways that's all i have for the plugs let's go ahead and talk just let's just get into this okay i'm talking about the movie knock at the cabin today uh this is the latest from m night Shyamalan. Uh, most people will know him from The Sixth Sense, Signs, uh, Unbreakable, Glass, more recently, Split, part of that trilogy of films. Uh, he also has done some uh, arguably, uh, well, hard to say arguable. He, he's made some stinkers. You know, he's got The Happening, uh, Lady in the Water. Some people would say The Village, not that great. After Earth, Avatar. Not trying to say like the last, you know, not not trying to bring up his last uh you know, few movies that were really bad, um, because I still think the good ones overshadow the bad ones. But when you talk about M. Night Shyamalan, it's hard not to see just a really kind of hit and miss director. I, I mean, truly, um, the guy can have some movies that when they come out, they are talked about everywhere and they really make cultural impact and they're unique, they're brave, they're bold, and they, they take big swings, right? And I would argue that the same thing could be said in his lesser than films, the you know the ones that are not great. I'm I'm looking at you after Earth, uh, bold for sure, taking chances absolutely. Uh, did those pay off in that particular film? Uh, well, no, no, I I would say they did not. But that's part of the appeal of M Night, isn't it? Seriously, there are few filmmakers out there that can just have their name attached to something and people are immediately intrigued and want to see it for better or worse. Because even I've seen when I've watched a M night Shyamalan movie, that's not that good. There are still things I walk away talking about in the movie, even if it's just, Oh my God, I can't believe how bad that was. But there's something about the way his movies play out that I remember them. In any case, I think he is a very talented filmmaker. Still. I think that he, takes chances and I like that he is willing to swing for the fences on every movie for better or worse and it's no exception here with knock at the cabin now I can happily tell you this is upper tier Shyamalan this is not the bad movies that I mentioned it's not the happening not anything like that this is definitely on the on the like I said the upper tier side of Shyamalan Am I going to say it's as good as my favorite ones from him, being Signs, 
um, Unbreakable, like those movies. Mm, no, uh, no, probably not. But this is a really solid movie, and it definitely left me wanting to talk about it to the audience here on ScreenSpeak. So that's what I'm going to do right now. So first things first, when I'm talking about this movie, uh, let's just talk about the marketing of the film. Not, not even, I guess, actually the movie just yet, just the marketing of it. Um, this is one of those movies where I would very much advise if you have not seen it, do not watch the trailers for this movie. I mean, you could maybe watch like the teaser trailer for it or like the first trailer. You, you could get away with that, but do not watch the second trailer. It gives away far too much. It shows way too much. And it's, I mean, it really just kind of deflates the viewing if you see that before going into this one. Uh, thankfully I did not see that second trailer when I went to see this movie. I had only seen the first, uh, but then I heard online that the second trailer was so bad and it gives away so much that I'm like, well, I, I got to check this thing out for myself. Uh, and yeah, I could definitely tell you after seeing the movie, it gives away too much. So please, please steer clear from that. If you have not already, uh, done so, uh, second thing, this is not going to be a spoiler review. I still think I can talk about this movie and talk about some of the themes and the things that stand out to me or what speaks to me uh, without getting into spoilers. Because this is a movie that I would encourage you to go out to the cinemas to see or would encourage you to buy it when it eventually makes its way over to physical media. Uh, so there's that. All right, moving past the marketing of the film, moving past those trailers, let's get into the actual movie itself. Now, first things first, this movie has an excellent premise. Very, very excellent premise. Uh, and I love movies like this, just movies with simple stories. I mean, not, I mean, there's, there's definitely nuances and things to talk about in this, but the story and the premise is very straightforward and simple. Uh, you have a family. There are two fathers and a daughter. They are on a trip and they go to an isolated cabin out in the woods somewhere and it's them, and then these four people show up, and the, I mean, that's essentially the cast of the movie. I mean, there are a few other characters here and there, uh, mostly in the form of flashbacks and whatnot, but it is a very, uh, very central cast, and, and it's all taking place in a very isolated, small location. Um, so I like that just from a filmmaking perspective, because I think it presents interesting challenges for the filmmaker to make the setting be as interesting as possible despite the location hardly changing throughout the movie. Um, I think Shyamalan, uh, Shyamalan, uh, I think Shyamalan executes it brilliantly on this, him and his two cinematographers, which I actually think is really interesting. Um, yeah, there was two cinematographers on this movie as opposed to the traditional one. Um, haven't really seen a lot as far as why that is exactly, but I'm sure if I looked into it, I could probably figure it out. But Anyways, I, I, I digress a little. Let me go back to the premise. Um, so aside from the simple location, the small cast of characters, and the interesting techniques that the two cinematographers make on this movie, and it is a gorgeously shot movie. I, I, I'm going back to the cinematography. I, ca I can't help it. Uh, it is shot on film. I know that. Uh, for me, I'm a person that feels like they can tell the difference between film and digital. I'm not going to say it's always the most obvious thing to, uh, notice when you're watching a movie, but I've seen enough movies on film. I've seen enough on digital that I feel like I have a decent enough eye to pick it out. And I just appreciate people that are still using film in this digital age. So very, very cool. Um, but anyways, back to the premise. You have a family that's on a vacation, and they are unexpectedly visited by these four individuals, these four strangers that are intimidating. They're mysterious. You don't know anything about them, but they are carrying strange, seemingly weapons. I mean, like, they're basically weapons. Uh, and they forcibly enter their way into this cabin, and they're telling these people that they have a choice to make. And that choice is, is that... If they don't make a difficult decision that involves their family, the world will end. Now, that's in the first trailer, so I don't think I'm spoiling anything there. Um, and that's basically it. It's like, what's going to happen at that point? Like, how is one side going to convince the other that, you know, their cause is real or not real? Are these people insane? Like, where do they show up from? Like, there's a lot of questions that get played out. Uh, throughout the movie, but that's basically the premise is people trying to say that the apocalypse is coming unless you do something about this. 
Um, I'm also just a fan myself of apocalyptic movies, uh, movies that are apocalyptic in nature, whether they're thrillers. Hell, I even like Apocalypto with Mel uh, Mel Gibson's Apocalypto. That's a that's a damn good movie. Uh, more people definitely need to check that out. If you you know what, shameless plug for Apocalypto. If you have not seen that movie, uh, get on Amazon, get on wherever you can to get it, or go out to your local thrift shop and see if you could pick that up. Um, that movie does not get talked about nearly enough. It is very very intense, uh, but very very good. Okay. Anyways, now uh, Shyamalan did not. Uh, this is not an original Shyamalan story. Uh, he actually adapted this along with a co-writer from a book. I should actually pull up the book here so I can get this correct. I know the book itself is called uh, Cabin at the End of the World, I believe. Uh, the Cabin at the End of the World. And the original author is Paul G. Tremblay. Uh, let's see. This came out in 2018. The author is American, so that's cool. Apparently, it won the Whore Writers Association's uh, Brom Stoker Award uh, for the novel in 2019. I, I, you know, I don't know how big of an association that is, but hey, I see an award. That sounds pretty cool. Uh, but anyways, so yeah, Shyamalan, uh, he adapted it off a book. And I feel like he's only adapted a book once before. And I think that was actually with Old. And I, I know I talked about that on the podcast. Um, I love the premise for that one as well, but the execution, uh, unfortunately, not so much. So it's interesting to see him adapt other people's material. Um, I, I don't think that means he's never going to not make his own original stories because I don't think he can help himself on that. The guy is a visionary. Uh, but I, I was pleasantly, pleasantly surprised with what I felt was a good adaptation. I have heard online anyways, though, that people that like the book, uh, some were a little divided on the movie because I hear it takes a left turn from a direction that the book goes in. Um, Shyamalan admits that in several interviews I've seen from uh, him talking about this movie, but he had his reasons for doing it. It seemed that most people that were fans of the book and decided to check out the movie, even with that left turn being added by Shyamalan, uh, they mostly seem pleased with this movie. Uh, in fact, I think the movie actually has it has a fairly solid uh, Rotten Tomatoes score, I want to say. Let me see. Knock at the cabin. Where is it at? Rotten Tomato. Well, no, I'm trying to find the Rotten Tomatoes score. Is it here? Ah, there it is. <clears throat> Uh, let's see. Yeah, so currently Knock at the Cabin, it has a 68% critic score and a 64% audience score. So it's like just, it's a, it's, it's a few points from being not fresh, but it's still in the fresh category. Rotten Tomatoes approves of it. Does, does that matter? Let's talk about that for a second. Now, I admit, I check out Rotten Tomatoes as I just did to look up the score for this movie and see how it fares with the critics and the fans, but I am curious if seeing the seal of a fresh tomato makes you want to see a movie, or if you see a stinky tomato somewhere near a movie that you like, uh, does that make you not see it? I'm like, I'm, I'm actually asking, screen speak, I'm asking you this. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I can say for me, it's a, it's a nice piece of, of marketing to like add on to a physical media release to show that critics and audiences, uh, for the most part, unanimously approve of this movie. Um, but I've never always agreed with everything that's on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, and so I, I don't know. The, the, the tomato is not a make or break it thing for me. Uh, I think it's nice if it helps sell the movie and get more people to notice it. But if the algorithm of critics and audiences says that something's crap uh, and I end up watching it and I think it's good, I'm not going to be like, oh, my God, I, I can't believe a tomato was not right. Uh, I'm, I'm always somebody that's going to tell you, screen speak, to go ahead and form your own opinion. Even if I say that this movie is amazing and it's so great in every single way and there's nothing better than it and you go and watch it, I mean, you, you could possibly think this thing sucks. It's entirely possible. Okay, don't take my word for it. Form an opinion. Go have an experience, and you come back and let me know. Or, or hell, email the podcast. Uh, email is always in the description of every one of these episodes. So let me know. Or get involved with social media. Cha ching! See what I did there? That's called plugin. <laughs> uh, speaking of plugin, I'm going to plug ahead on this. Um, <clears throat> the cast of this movie, I I enjoyed. 
Dave Batista, I definitely think that of all the movies I've seen him do, this is by far probably the best performance that, that he's given uh, on screen to date. And I just say that because solely because he has a lot of screen time in this movie and other movies that he's been in where he's given really great performances like Blade Runner 2049 uh, or Den- uh, Denny Villeneuve's Dune Part 1. I mean, supporting character in those for sure. Um, but he's, he's absolutely great in those, but here he's really, uh, commanding his, his presence across the screen. I mean, like you, you are not going to take your eyes off him apart from the fact that he's a massive dude. Uh, but his, his character is, is very, very, uh, well intriguing for one, because you're trying to figure out why he's actually there and like kind of what's going on. Uh, but Batista brings a lot of, conflicting emotions within the character i mean himself uh his his character leonard and the other people that are breaking into this cabin it's very clear that they're terrified by what's going on that like they they do not want to be there like that this whole thing is is scaring the hell out of them and i really enjoyed seeing the inner turmoil that he had to carry throughout this whole movie uh Really, really well done on his part, and I and I'm sure this performance will probably open the door to get him to be seen by other filmmakers. Hopefully, uh, to put him in more interesting, um, you know, just just to put him in more diverse work. You know, don't box the guy in as just being big, scary wrestler guy that's Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy. Like the guy is clearly capable of doing a lot, and I think it's cool that he's getting this opportunity. So I, I hope it keeps happening for him. Uh, the other cast in here as well, uh, the people that are with Batista, the only one that I recognize is Rupert Grint. Uh, most people will recognize him as Ron Weasley from Harry Potter. Um, I'm trying to think if I've actually seen him in anything outside of Harry Potter. I feel bad for saying that because I know he's done a couple of small things, and, and he's also actually worked with Shyamalan on the Apple TV series Servant, and I think that's still going on. He's still working with him on that. Um, I, I don't know. I'll have to check that one out, but I enjoyed seeing him in this. Uh, he's certainly no Ron Weasley. Uh, <laughs> he's definitely no Ron Weasley, uh, in this. Um, but it, it was just cool. It was just cool to see him in this. I, I liked the part that he had to play and the other people, I, I feel bad for not knowing their names. Uh, but, but they also held their own with Batista and, and everything that was going on in the movie. I, I thought they were good. Um, the other performers to me that actually stood out aside from Batista was Jonathan Groff and, and Ben Aldridge. Uh, it's almost a tie really between uh, Ben Aldridge and Groff for who I think had to, I don't know, I'm not, not going to say work harder, but like they both have to maintain this really, really high level of intensity throughout a large portion of the movie. And it's it's a testament to those actors. I mean, like I, I don't know, like if if you guys like the average audience necessarily will think about this type of thing. I get this as a movie that's taking place in one location, and you know it's a very it's a very isolated movie with a you know a simple premise, so to speak, a home invasion, right? But if you think about it, the actors have to look constantly in a state of perpetual fear, panic, anxiety, adrenaline. Um, confusion, uh, delusions. I mean, like there, there's a lot of emotions that they have to convey for a, a pretty long portion of the movie. I mean, like it's not like they're happy for a lot of the movie. I mean, they are in panic mode for a majority of this movie. Uh, and hats off to them. I mean, seriously, if I was wearing a hat, I, I, I would take it off here. I'll take off my headphones. You can hear that? It's the headphones coming off. Headphones off to these guys. Um, John John Groff, uh, Ben Aldridge, uh, even the little girl uh, actress. I think it's her first movie, the one that is play, uh, playing Wen in the movie. She was terrific, too. <clears throat> so all around, the cast in this movie was really, really fantastic. But again, got to give these guys credit for being able to hold this level of terror for as long as they did and do it as convincingly as they did. Uh, Jonathan Groff, I've seen him from Mindhunter. Uh, I really, really liked him in Mindhunter, actually. Which, actually, speaking of that, I'll throw in a little movie news here for the people that pay attention to this stuff. Did anybody else see that David Fincher supposedly said something about finally whether or not there would be a Mindhunter uh, Season 3? 
I think it's actually sad news because um, I don't think it's happening. But let me see if I can actually find the article so I can have this piece of news stay relevant to what's going on today. All right, let's see. IGN. That's, for whatever reason, one of the first things that popped up. Okay, there's like a video that's trying to play. Now, I don't care about what's going on in Paramount Mountain. Jesus. Okay. Uh, okay, here we go. Here's the quote that David Fincher just said about Mindhunter Season 3. I'm very proud of the first two seasons, but it's a very expensive show, and in the eyes of Netflix, we didn't attract enough of an audience to justify such an investment for Season 3, he said. And he continues to say, I don't blame them. They took risks to get the show off the ground, gave me the means to do the, his movie uh, Mank the way I wanted to do it, and they allowed me to venture down new paths with his upcoming movie, The Killer, with uh, Michael Fassbender. He says, it's a blessing to be able to work with people who are capable of boldness. The day our desires are not the same, we have to be honest about parting ways. Okay, so basically Mindhunter cost too much money to produce and make, and I guess Netflix says that they didn't have a large enough audience for it. So, guess we're never going to get that third season, but... You know, I, I, I say never say never because I've seen stranger things happen where a show will come back after a decade or they could decide to make an original movie out of it. You, you just don't know. Um, fans have a lot of power. I'll say that. The fans have a lot of power, and with social media, they can sure as hell make themselves be vocal. So who knows? Um, I want to move on, and I want to talk about a a central theme in this movie, which is about believing or about belief or or faith if you will now i think i alluded to this or i had said it early on in the in the show that the premise of this movie is people coming to deliver apocalyptic news and saying that the world is going to end right now i felt it was very interesting in the movie how they actually go about legit trying to convince this family that the world is going to end but then it, of course, gets me thinking, because I love me some hypotheticals, how do you go about convincing somebody of something that is affecting their their faith in humanity and their faith in religion and, and God and, and, and everything? Like, how, how would you actually go about trying to convince them? I mean, would you do strictly do it off of reason or logic, you know, just like try to be like, well, uh, because of this. This, this, and this is happening, and that's leading to the end of the world. So it's just like, do you keep it very straight like that? Uh, do you try to maybe keep it light and just be like, hey, look, uh, I know this isn't what you want to hear, and I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but the world is, it's ending. But, you know, it's not, this place isn't that great anyway, so just like, whatever, it's, it's ending. Like, how, <laughs> that, that's not how I would approach it, by the way. I, I, I wouldn't do it like that at all. Uh, but it gets it gets me thinking. I mean, I don't even know if you could get somebody to believe that, especially like if you have to break into their cabin to deliver this message, and you're a, c a complete stranger that brought weapons. Like, how how am I going to believe you at all? I mean, that's fighting an uphill battle, that's for sure. Uh, I'm also trying to think about what the logical counter arguments would be to someone making a claim of the world ending. I mean, I think the movie handles a lot of that pretty pretty well i mean they you know assume that the people are like mentally ill they could be part of a cult you know like a religious like suicide cult um they could be you know like hard right people you know like uh like the maga hat thing the, that whole extremist thing not not trying to make this political but it's just it's something that gets brought up in the movie of like are you like an extreme political like movement or something like that um so I'm sure like you could throw things like that and, and try to see if any of those would stick uh, to the people that are telling you this. But then the real interesting part that happens is, is what if, you know, you eliminate all these, you know, other possibilities and only what they're saying is true? Like, how, how do you process that? How do you deal with that? Um, can you deal with that? I, I don't know. I mean, it's there, there's some big, heavy, heavy-hitting themes that are in this movie, and, and I felt it very interesting for that. Uh, and, and I think when I talk about it on the subject of belief, belief is just an interesting thing, isn't it? Like, how somebody comes to a point in their life where they believe something. Uh, spe specifically towards, like, a religious or spiritual nature, uh, because as we all know, the, those of us that are believers out there in something, uh, there isn't 
you know, usually anything real tangible that you can grasp onto. I mean, I, I can hold tight a Bible, you know, I can go to a physical church, uh, but the things that are being discussed is things that are out of this world. They're out of this uh, realm of physical possibility. And, and yet, you know, and yet we choose to believe a, a lot of different uh, religions and ideologies. And I don't know. It's like, you know, why? Was it just because it was taught to you? Um, were you just told because like, you know, your mother or father, like they believe this. So therefore now you believe this. Do you actually feel a legit connection to what this belief system is? It's just very interesting to me how people do eventually catch on to believing in something. And then more so getting a person to shake their belief. Cause that is, well, I mean, it's, it's damn near impossible. And if it is possible, it's really not going to happen without a fight. Uh, at least for a lot of people, and and Lord knows over time and history, it, it it shows that unfortunately in spades and and in large body counts in some cases. It's sorry, it's, it's dark, dark stuff. But belief makes people do crazy things. I'll tell you that. So part of the belief in this movie is centered around the apocalypse. On will it happen? Will it not happen? And and that's a very fascinating subject, isn't it? The apocalypse, right? Now, we've seen it talked about, uh, portrayed, various different films, Terminator, you know, they have the exoskeleton people that are coming, blasting and killing everybody. Uh, you know, we've seen the meteors come and kill all the dinosaurs, Armageddon, uh, Bruce Willis, thank you for saving our lives against the meteor from destroying Earth. A uh, lot of different apocalyptic visions and tales over the years, but it is interesting, right? The apocalypse. Will it happen? Will it not happen? Has it happened before or will it happen again? You know, what is truly, what, what truly constitutes the end? Now, one thing that I noticed from watching this movie, and I, I don't believe this is a spoiler, because if you were to watch the trailer and just think about the premise of the movie, uh, having these four individuals come delivering apocalyptic news, it's entirely reasonable to come to the conclusion that these people could be representative of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And I'm just curious, is, does anyone out there really know about the four horsemen of the apocalypse past like just hearing about, you know, the phrase here and there in pop culture or like, are there some actual people out there listening that really are into like theology and mythology and, and they get into all these uh, divine teachings out there that talk about this stuff. I don't know. I, I had to do some research myself because I've heard of the four horsemen. I, I knew that they all rode on different colored horses and, and that each one of them represented something symbolically. Uh, but I didn't actually really know fully what they were until now. So I did some digging, trying to look into the four horsemen and the apocalypse. And I found some interesting things that I thought are worth sharing for my fine listeners out there. So you're about to learn about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, courtesy of Wikipedia. Yep, Wikipedia is going to help us out. And then I also found a another website here, Christianity.com. Talks about it a little bit more in depth. And I also watched a YouTube video about it before as well. So look, I mean, I, I read two whole articles and I watched about a 15-minute long video about this subject. Just for you. Just for you. Look at the trouble I go to to try to help you guys out. <laughs> so dumb. Uh, okay. So according to Wikipedia, okay, the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse are figures in the Christian sculptures, first appearing in the book of Revelation, a piece of apocalyptic literature written by John of Patmos. Wikipedia further goes on to say that Revelation 6 tells of a book or a scroll in God's right hand that is sealed with seven seals. The Lamb of God, or Lion of Judah, opens the first four of the seven seals, which summons four beings that ride out on a white, red, black and pale horse. So there you go. You have four horsemen or four horse creatures uh, riding on top of horses. Now in John's revelation, the first horseman rides a white horse, carries a bow and is given a crown as a figure of conquest. Um, there's a lot of speculation, of course, as to what does conquest mean in the terms of the story of the horsemen. What does the crown mean? Why is there a bow? Like what's going on there? I'll, I'll talk about the speculative side of these things in a second, but let's continue looking at these other horses. The second horseman carries a sword and rides a red horse. 
and is considered a creator of uh, war, uh, either civil or with each other, of conflict, strife, things like that. The third horse uh, is a food merchant that rides a black horse that symbolizes uh, apparently famine, and it carries a set of scales with it, uh, whether it's on top of its head, it's holding it in its hands, uh, but it has a set of scales. And then the fourth and final horse is the pale horse, uh, and what's considered to have be riding that is is death. And and apparently they're accompanied by Hades. I don't know if that means that Hades is like you know standing like next to the horse, or if like if that means Hades is on the horse, and therefore that's why it's symbolizing death. Um, but apparently the last one, the one that's supposed to be death, it's given a quarter of the earth to go kill with a sword and basically spread famine and plague and just wipe out like everything. Uh, so they all go in a uh, consecutive order. I think I'm saying that right. So they all they all go one at a time uh, in the story according to this. They don't just all show up at the same time. Um so anyways, I, I just, when I was reading these things, uh, just looking into this, I think it's, it's really, really interesting. Honestly, the book of revelation is something I used to read, uh, because of the apocalyptic visions, not to like try to terrify myself, but frankly, when you put that in comparison to some of the other passages and, and stories in the Bible, I mean, the book of revelation has some really dark stuff, but it's, it's very, very interesting to me. Um, certainly a little bit more interesting than some of the other portions I've read in the past on the Bible. Uh, let me see if Christianity.com is going to add to what Wikipedia said. Uh, okay. So it's talking about the white horse and the horseman saying the same things that the other one was saying, how it's bent on conquest. Um, I, oh, I guess that's one thing I did see about this is that they talked about how, the order of it is purposeful, um, perhaps. So conquest most often goes hand in hand with war. So if you start with conquest, it would no doubt then lead to war. War then in turn leads to uh, judgment and darkness and, and disease and poverty. And then death usually follows with it. So that's why they have the the order the way it is. Um the red horse, it's just saying on here, it likely represents uh, things with war and violence. Um, also, actually, this was interesting, too. A uh, couple articles that I was reading, aside from the two I mentioned in that YouTube video, they did say that there is some speculation or s- some scholars out there uh, say that one of the horsemen is actually representative of the Antichrist. It's not necessarily just, you know... Uh, you know, like Jesus on a horse or something like that. It's like, it's a bad, you know, bad antichrist because they're there to, to end the world. Uh, the scales people talking about how it's, uh, in reference to famine, going to wipe out a lot of food supplies, except some of the passages, I guess, say to spare oil and wine, uh, the oil. I don't know if this, is that just for cooking and the wine also for cooking? Cause you can, you can cook some pretty good food with wine. But that doesn't seem right, right? And then, and then who's got who's gonna do that? Who's gonna eat the oil and the wine while everybody else starves? I, I don't know. See, I, I, I'm I'm theorizing on this, and I'm not doing a great job. Uh, the pale horse and the horseman, um, just basically saying that when the food supplies are down, war breaks out, death is there. Uh, so it sounds like the pale horse just comes in and cleans up everything that the other horses didn't take care of when they did their apocalyptic deeds. Uh, So that's what I found out about the four horsemen, and hopefully you found that interesting. But reason why I talk about that with Knock at the Cabin is, of course, because I think it's entirely reasonable to believe that each one of the characters could, in theory, represent uh, a horseman. Not just because there are four of them, but also if you take a look at their clothes, Leonard, Dave Bautista's character, he's wearing white. Rupert Grint, he's wearing red. Uh, the other two, I can't remember the actresses' names, but I think one of them is wearing yellow, uh, and the other one is wearing like a dark navy or a, a possibly black. Color-wise, you could see the the visual metaphor that's being played out on screen there. So maybe, maybe not, but either way, I think it's very, very interesting to think about. Um, now, I want to talk about the the choice that this family is having to make. Now, I'm not going to say exactly what the choice is, but I will tell you that it is a moral 
it's 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 certainly a, a choice that would question you would have to question your morals and your ethics uh in order to be able to uh to even entertain it and and, and carry out the the choice that they're asking um it makes you wonder what you would do if somebody put you in a corner and they're like, you're going to have to do this. Like you, you are going to have to make a choice. That's going to irrevert. Like this choice that you make will change the course of not just your life, but the universe for like forever. Like that, that's what's happening. Like if like you can't go back, like this is a one-time deal. Like this choice happens. You're never going to be the same again. Um, and there's there's severe consequence with the choice as well. I I don't even know how you would begin to to piece that together. And, and and I I will say credit to the credit credit to the credit of the credit credit to the movie for how it handled this because I really felt the characters despair across the screen where they just felt like there is no there is no answer for this. This is a question that shouldn't have an answer. This is not something that you should even be discussing like this uh, no like there is no way i would do this but then if they don't make a choice you know and and what they're saying is correct about the apocalypse then is is that worth it you know are you going to like let all of humanity die because you don't have the stones to to carry out something that's going to make you be miserable for the rest of your existence these are questions that I'm asking, but sadly, I don't really have the answers to. Now, I'm trying to think. If I had four people just show up to my condo and they, you know, tied me and, and my wife up and they're like, hey, you know, you guys got to make a choice and you're not going to like it and you'll never be able to, well, you won't be able to be married after the choice. <laughs> uh, I'll say that. It's like, what what would you do? What would you do? Well, I feel like I've been asking these hyperboles, these hypothetical questions, but I'm kind of dancing around this a little bit. It's like, what what would I do if I had to make a difficult choice that would affect my family? All right. I'm going to do my best to answer it. Uh, for the record, my answers in this segment, this does not mean this is what I would actually do if this were to happen. I don't know what I would do if this was actually going to be happening for real, you know, people coming and telling me that the world is going to end unless I do something drastic, but I, I, I want to play along. I just want to see where this goes. So we're going to see where this goes. Now, look, I love my wife, love her to death. Um, I don't think I would be able to do anything like that would inflict harm on her or, you know, her family. I, I'm pretty sure I would just be like, I'm going to have to eat it or, you know, I guess, I guess people, if it's, if it's their time in the world, you know, like if it's time for, you know, end times to show up, well, then I guess it's time for end times to show up because I am not about to commit an atrocity like that on a person that is the love of my life. Like I, I, I can't do that again. I, I don't know if that were to actually play out. You know, it's a hell of a lot different if somebody's saying like, okay, well, if you don't do it, like, well, I'm going to take an ax and like drive it through your head or, you know, we're going to set the house on fire or, you know, we're going to kill 50 people. We're going to do something like freaking horrible. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't really even know if there's like a full way to be able to understand what you would do in that because you just don't know until it happens. Right. So many things in life, I think, are like that. You don't know what you're going to react until until it happens because it's such a, it's a, it's an instinctual thing in yourself. You don't even have time to to think about some of these choices. Like like no, let me let me let me backtrack. You wouldn't have time in a lot of these in a lot of these settings to think it through without emotion and but without fear and without all these things running through your mind and your body, uh, you're not going to be able to think clearly in, uh, in a, in a real state, like the one that's presented in this movie. So how could you, how could you know? You could try to guess like what I just did, but I don't really know if you're ever going to know. So that might've just been rambling about making difficult choices and maybe there was something there or maybe there wasn't, but I'm telling you right now, I don't know, but I just hope to God 
four people don't come knocking on my condo telling me the world's going to end because I don't want to be the person that's got to make that choice. Uh, I'll tell you that. No, nobody's going to want to make that choice. Um, another thing on the subject of the choice in this thing, I, I, I will say, again, without, without spoiling anything, there is a, a sacrificial element to the choice, if you will, meaning that there is going to be a loss that results from this choice. Um, what I wonder, and, and the movie, I, I, I was wondering it when I watched the movie is like, like just the why, like why, why sacrifice at all? Why, why is there need to be, uh, why does there have to be a sacrifice with this choice at all? Why does this choice even have to be made? Uh, and I'll tell you right now, the movie, movie doesn't really answer the question. You could speculate that the movie does, but I don't think it really definitively answers even why there's a choice to begin with, why it's these people. Uh, but I don't actually think that's the point. Now, some people might see that as a con and I admit for, you know, myself, like there was a part of me that's just like, aren't they going to elaborate a little bit more about why there's a choice having to be made? Like why these people are here. The movie gives you, I think just enough to work with that. You're still going to buy into things and you're still going to go along for the ride, but it does not give a nice neat bow on everything. But that said, it's like, would I want it to, like, would the movie actually be as interesting if it just spelled everything out and was just like, this happened because of this, and now that's happening because of this, and now we've reached the end, and this is why the end is the end. I don't think that really works in a movie like this. Like, I think you want things to be ambiguous. You want there to be uh, a sense of not knowing and a sense of uncertainty. Even as the credits roll for the movie, you kind of want to know, like, God, like, did, you know you know, did things happen the way they should have? Like, could this have happened another way? Um, I think to me, that's part of the fun of watching a movie uh, like this as an audience member is you getting to walk away, having some of those conflicting thoughts in yourself and then having a conversation with other people and seeing what their take was on what you just watched. Uh, Cause that's a great part about a movie like this is that you can watch it and you might have a completely different take to somebody else sitting right next to you, seeing the exact same thing that you're seeing, but they are seeing other sides to it that you maybe weren't focusing on as much, or perhaps they're more of a believer in faith and higher power than you are. And that's going to make you have a different outlook on this movie as a whole altogether, just by those two comparisons. Um, so I, I, I think it really makes for a more compelling film when you do it like that. And, and I really appreciate that knock at the cabin did not give too much on that. There's some scenes in the movie. I would say that like, they, you know, they give a little too much exposition or a little too like, aha, like, look at that. But thankfully I think they leave enough out that you get to form your own opinions on the more key critical moments that happen in the movie. Um, and kind of going back to this whole choice and, you know, when push comes the shove, you know, what does happen like when you're not able to reason yourself out of it? It doesn't matter how persuasive I am, how thoughtful I am about something, um, how articulate I am. There's some, some times in life where you can't reason your way out of it or you can't talk your way out of it. I think there's actually a quote. It's just like, you ain't, you ain't, talking, you ain't talking your way out of this shit. And your ass ain't talking your way out of this shit. And I think what happens when you can't reason your way out is you either try to fight your way out, right? Because that's the, you're not talking on that. You're just trying to exert brute physical force over another person to make your way happen or to get the hell away from the situation, right? So I suppose that's what could happen when you can't reason your way out. Well, you got to fight your way out. Or you got to shoot your way out. Or uh, what, what else could you do besides fight, shoot, could... Uh, I was gonna say like like use a knife or something like uh, but I, I I can't stand that a sword fight would be better but I I really don't like knives people um they they really freak me out not sure why I'm admitting that on the episode on this episode talking about knock at the cabin because there's not really knives that are present in that but I'm just thinking about having to get away from somebody that has a knife yeah like if they make a horror movie or if they have any horror movies that have knives. And, and there's like close up shots of knives and like, you know, it's like showing people get, you know, stabbed and maimed and things like that. It, it, it does make me uncomfortable, but if it serves the story, I'll, I'll, I'll deal with my uncomfortableness and, and just proceed forward. I definitely think a knock at the cabin is a, 
a thought experiment film or it's like thought experiment filmmaking where you're taking a you're you're taking a situation and you're forcing there to be a decision made that you know there is not a good answer to it one way or another and you're forcing the audience to go along with you to see what they would do in that situation and how they would react to a situation like this happening and I really, really like movies like that that are taking a concept and kind of putting the audience in the shoe of, like, would you do this or would you not do this? I'm sure I could think of some movies that would fall into a similar thing like that. Hmm. Let me actually let me try to Google this a little bit. Yes. What are some... Yeah, yeah here, Core is asking the question. What are some movies that explore interesting hypothetical... Uh, situations okay let's see if this is going to help us at all oh the truman show absolutely i would definitely agree with that if you are living in a tv show and you don't even know it how the hell would you respond to that oh her that's a that's a oh damn 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 the movie her any of you anyone out there seen that movie um well it is a deep deep deeply emotionally uh resonating movie but it is hit, hits on some on some painful levels for anybody that's experienced emotions similar to Joaquin Phoenix's character Theodore Twombly uh let's see what are some other ones someone says a movie called Sliding Doors with Gwyneth Paltrow is good says the film features two parallel but intertwined plot lines, frequently switching from one to the other with two different conclusions, uh, each alternative uh, being centered around her romantic relationships. Huh. I don't know about that. Someone saying Dunkirk. I mean, that's not really like a, you know, what would you do thing. I mean, it, it could be. If you put yourself in, the, in that situation, how would you react? Okay, I guess I could see that. Um, someone says the man, the man from earth. I don't know if I, I actually don't think I've seen that one. Oh, groundhog day. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, let me see another 18, 18 movie. Would you rather questions? Here we go. Or, oh, is this actually, uh, okay. These are just actual questions. These aren't really movies. How about this though? Because I stumbled on this in my attempt to try to answer my own question on the go, uh, let's talk about this. Let me ask you, Screen Speak, two to three would you rather questions that are related about movies. So I'm going to look at this list of, I think there's like 18 questions here. And I'm going to go ahead and ask three and not get any answer because uh, you, you, know, you can't talk back to me in this medium. So we'll, we'll see what we can do. Um, all right. Here's this one. Screen Speak. Would you rather be a slave to Darth Vader or a slave to Jabba the Hutt. Hmm. Well, I should answer the question since I can't hear your answer. Uh, I'd honestly rather, I, I would rather be a slave for Darth Vader than the Jabba the Hutt. Jabba just seems like he's either going to dress me up in some weird golden bikini or he's going to have me like sit by him and like pet his worm tail or something. Uh, I just also don't really like the his... I don't like his, his setup. I feel like Vader's got uh, more things for me to do. Uh, I feel like he, you know, might have me do some demeaning work. I might have to, like, scrub the, the floor that the that black cart thing drives by on and goes like, beep, 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 beep. And I also just think I'd, I'd probably, probably get paid better being his slave, right? I mean, Vader's got money. Do, do, do people in the Empire actually make money? I don't know. Okay, but I, I tried. Uh, okay, let's let's do two more here, and then I'll continue talking about knock at the cabin. But I'm gonna I'm gonna stay down this rabbit hole for a second. Uh, would you rather be in a reality show or win an Oscar? Hmm. Well, I don't. I don't really know like why those two would kind of go hand in hand. I I guess I would rather win the Oscar because there's prestige that goes with it. Um, you know, it'll say it before my name in like every single movie Academy Award nominee, Jordan, uh, like it'll do that whole thing. Uh, and the reality show thing, like I, I, I don't like a lot of reality shows. So why would I want to watch myself being in one? Uh, I, I, no, I, I don't think so. Uh, and one more, 
Let's see. Da, 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 da. Would you rather have a Star Trek marathon or a Lord of the Rings marathon? We're going to have to elaborate on that question a little bit more because Star Trek could mean a, a lot of different things. It could be the original series, could be Next Gen, could be the new Discovery series, Picard. Like, like what are we talking? Same thing with Lord of the Rings, uh, though not as much. I, could, I would just assume the, the Jackson trilogy, but are you including The Hobbit with that? Because some people consider that as one whole Middle Earth saga. Um. I mean, semantics aside, I'm probably just going to pick Lord of the Rings because I am a bigger Lord of the Rings fan than I am a Star Trek fan, though I, I do like both properties very, very much. Okay, anyways, uh, apparently we just played an impromptu game of Would You Rather on Screen Speak uh, for the first time, I might add. I don't, I don't think that's happened before. Um, actually, let's, we're, we're going to play another game. I, th this game actually was planned. It's not just something that I threw together at the last second. Uh, let's do a ranking of M. Night Shyamalan movies, and I want you, ScreenSpeak, to actually tell me, if you would be so kind, where does Knock at the Cabin rank in your list of Shyamalan movies, if you have seen it and could do a ranking? And if you haven't seen Knock at the Cabin, well, then just do a ranking of your favorite Shyamalan movies, um, 10 being worst, you know, one being best, uh, however many films that he has, I think you get what I'm saying. Uh, for those of you that will actually take the time to do this, send your responses over to the podcast email, which is screenspeakpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's screenspeakpodcast at gmail.com. Let me know your favorite Shyamalan movies and where this one would rank for you or not. Or you can always get involved on social media and throw your thoughts on that. Uh, Facebook and Instagram are the place to go for that. So what I'm going to do right now and I didn't prepare the list beforehand. I'm just, I'm just going to tell you that right now. I knew that I was going to play the game on the podcast, but I figure I'm like, this will be a lot more interesting just seeing what I instinctually say without thinking about it too much. All right, here we go. I have his full list of movies here. So I'm going to read off all the movies here, excluding any TV shows or anything like that or music videos, nothing like that. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that counts. This is strictly his movies. So here we go. We have Praying with Anger, Wide Awake, The Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, Signs, The Village, Lady in the Water, The Happening, The Last Airbender, After Earth, uh, The Visit, Split, Glass, Old, Knock at the Cabin. Okay, so what I need to do to make this a little bit easier, well, way bit easier for me, bruv. What kind of accent is that? I do not know. Wish I could tell you, but I can't. All right, I'm uh, bringing up a little assisting tool here. Have to take a screenshot of the movies here because what I'm going to do as I play this game with you all is I'm going to scratch off movies after I've said them, okay? So looking at his filmography here, I'm just going to tell you I'm going to eliminate the stuff I haven't seen. Um, fortunately, I've seen just about everything here. But I admit I have not seen Praying with Anger, so that's scratched off. And I have not seen Wide Awake. Uh, let me see. Uh, Wayward Pines is a TV series that he was behind. That's off the list. He did a music video, I guess, for Andra Day called Rise Up. I don't know, but that's out. And Servant is also out. So we're now left with the movies. All right, so... Let's go ahead and just get the shit out of the gate, right? Let's just start with the worst of the worst and pick the worst M. Night Shyamalan movie that he's made. Um, well, I'm looking at the nominees. <laughs> the, the nominees are right here. Uh, old stands out because I saw that most recently as far as his new movies before Knock at the Cabin. But then After Earth is certainly a contender. Last Airbender, Absolute Contender, uh, and Lady in the Water. Okay. So I'm going to say right now, Lady in the Water is not the worst to me because I'm not saying it's a good movie, but it's still original enough. And I thought he had 
an interesting idea with the movie I, that just did not, of course, uh, happen in execution. Um, I'm going to say The Last Airbender is so far the like the worst one. That is one big pile of shit. Uh, I will say for a few reasons. One, I mean, it's just, it's a very sloppy movie. It doesn't feel like a Shyamalan movie. It feels like he got hired on as a director and just given a shitload of money to make a mess of a film. Uh, I think it spits in the face of the source material that it's based off of. Not that I personally know that. Cause I can tell you, I've never actually seen, uh, avatar, the last airbender, but that many fans cannot be wrong about how badly Shyamalan screwed with them on this project. So I, I just got to stand by those guys and, and put this as being M night Shyamalan's worst movie. Okay. So there we go. Uh, from there, we're going to go ahead and throw in, um, I will go ahead and throw in lady of the water, um, as his second worst movie. Uh, I just remember Paul Giamatti's character, uh, Shyamalan was going in a direction with that character that I just, I didn't really fully understand why they were doing it. And I also found the movie to be boring, uh, when it shouldn't have been. So I'm throwing that there. Uh, next I'm going to go with, uh, after earth, go ahead and say that's my third. So it's like, what is it, like 10, nine, eight, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, after earth, I mean, very weird wooden acting from Will Smith, Jaden Smith. Uh, well, there's a reason why he's not carrying movies today. Cause I, I don't, I just don't think that he's a, a lead actor like his father and, um, just very, very disappointing movie. Uh, okay. Now we're kind of starting to make our way out of the crap and we're getting to better territory. Um, I'll go from here and say the next movie of Shyamalan that I would put closer towards being in his best is uh, da, 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 I can't wait too long because I, I told you I'm just making this decision on the fly uh, not not his best but I mean if the last airbender is the worst followed by lady in the water then after earth uh, I'm going to say the happening what no because it's it's not lower in the list because of some of the it's so bad it's funny things that are in the movie, uh, but it's still it's still not great. Uh, okay, then from there, from there I can actually say like the rest of his filmography, arguably one or two of you might say that oh <clears throat> you know some of these are bad, but um, yeah we'll go from there. Uh, okay, so I'm gonna say my next movie to make it make it up the list a little bit further is old uh old has its problems but there was still some things in the movie that i appreciated uh particularly that freaking scene with the lady in the cave that contorts her body yuck um that at least helped elevate the movie in terms of creepiness but it still could have been better but i didn't hate that movie as much as the other ones that i just mentioned all right now now i can definitely say the movies that are here are are all still pretty good um, I'm going to actually go ahead and say glass is the next up in the list. Uh, I wanted to like the movie more, but I didn't hate it as much because of its tie-ins with unbreakable and split. And it does end the story, but there was still, I feel like a lot of promise that that movie did not deliver on and it just didn't get there for me. So I'm going to say that's, that's now off the, off the list here. We'll keep going. Um, Let's see. I'm now going to go ahead and say The Visit is my next favorite Shyamalan movie that's rising up in the list. I remember The Visit was sort of a, a Shyamalan's first return to form after he had had these stinkers with Last Airbender and After Earth and Happening. Uh, the studio didn't really give him a lot of money. I think he actually self-financed the movie, and that's kind of how he was able to you know, get get people behind it. Uh, it's a found footage movie, which I'm not really a huge fan of that genre, but Shyamalan does some really inventive things with this. There's some good twists, uh, and it was definitely more memorable than some of the other found footage movies I've seen. So I, I certainly enjoyed that. Um, and then I think from there, I'm going to go ahead and then say, 
I'm going to go ahead and then say The Village is the next movie that would follow in the list. I don't love The Village, but I do appreciate a lot of the uh, imagery in the movie. I think Roger Deakins is the cinematographer on that, and it's a gorgeous-looking movie. Um, The twist in that movie, you could argue is not very good or kind of deflates things when you're like, Oh, that's what it is. But I actually think it's a, it's a pretty brilliant twist. Um, and just actually makes the movie a lot more interesting with that twist. So I'm going to go ahead and put that there. Then from there, I'm going to go ahead and then say knock at the cabin. So that's if, if everybody that's been listening has been keeping track of where the numbering is on that, I, you know, you'll know where that's at, but knock at the cabin is then I think there, um, So that means that the next movies that I mentioned in this list are ones that I enjoyed more than Knock at the Cabin and are the top, top four then of, of M. Night Shyamalan. But Knock at the Cabin is, is, it's really, really good. I mean, I think it's well worth your time. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say my next is Split. Really, really enjoyed Split. That was a big surprise. Who knew that that was tied to Unbreakable? Even if it wasn't tied to Unbreakable, it still works as its own movie. Uh, So just fires on all cylinders. And James McAvoy and his performances, uh, yes, performances, because he's playing a crazy person. uh, Wow. Just absolutely floors me. Really still wish he would have gotten, like, accolades for that, being, like, Golden Globes and oscars like the whole thing like he he really really did good in that uh so that leaves us down with three Shyamalan movies to declare which one is the favorite of screen speak myself jordan anderson what is my favorite m night Shyamalan movie so we have three movies left we got signs got unbreakable and we have the sixth sense now this is early Shyamalan career that you'll notice with these um but i i gotta make it i gotta make a tough call Make the choice. Will you make a choice? Yeah, I'll, ma- I'll make the choice right now. I can do it. Put me on the spot. I'll deliver. All right. Sixth Sense. You're out of here. Okay. There we go. I did it. Uh, Sixth Sense definitely is the movie that made Shyamalan into the household name that I think he is still to this day. He would not be here certainly without that movie. I see dead people. Um Right. Come on. I can't mention The Sixth Sense without doing that. I've talked about it on the podcast before. Um, I I believe I joked around about it a lot more, but in all seriousness, it is a very good movie. But it is not my favorite Shyamalan movie. So we're down to the final two, Signs and Unbreakable. This is really tough. Now I really am having to make a choice between Signs and Unbreakable. Okay. Damn. Um, Well, I can tell you this. Signs I did see in theaters multiple times. And Unbreakable, I actually never did see it in a theater. I think the first time I watched that was on DVD. And I also know that I didn't appreciate it the first couple times I watched Unbreakable. It was only... Only as I got older that I appreciated the grounded reality of a superhero movie in a Shyamalan landscape. Um, mm, This really is tough, but I have made my decision. Made my decision. Unbreakable. You are second to being my favorite M. Night Shyamalan movie. You're very, very close. You, You almost made it to number one, but I couldn't. I couldn't quite put you there because my favorite M. Night Shyamalan movie that I have decided on the fly is Signs. Signs is a movie that I think also kind of similar, actually, in a way to Knock at the Cabin is a small cast fairly isolated locations in the movie. You don't have a lot of flash and visual effects, uh, but the terror is absolutely there. And the, the suspense and the, the situationness or situationness, (laughs) sorry. Uh, the situation that it puts that family in where they're disconnected from the world, but they're having to, you know, navigate an alien, uh, an alien invasion, essentially, from the confines of their home and and hope that they can figure out what's going on without any of the outside world intervening. I just think 
there's so much there. Plus you have the beautiful uh, subplot with uh, Mel Gibson's character having to rediscover his faith through what's going on with the aliens visiting earth. I mean, there, there's a lot of things there that I really, really appreciate. And just the freaking imagery of the movie. Uh, I was scared of corn for a long, long time for watching that movie. And I, and I live in Iowa. So yeah, you think that helped? You think it helped driving away from the theater, seeing all those cornfields? I don't think so. But in any case, yeah, I guess that's it. Signs is my favorite M. Night Shyamalan movie. So there you go. Hopefully you were playing that game along with me uh, as I was doing that, or you're just kind of bouncing those choices along in your head. Um, again, I didn't prepare. I didn't prepare that part. I knew I wanted to play the game. I made some decisions. I made the choice. Uh, and, and and so, yeah, I, I I will see see what you all think. Do you agree? Do you think Signs is M. Night Shyamalan's best film that he's made? Or, or would you say it's another one? Let me know. Or, you know, big whoop. You want to fight about it? You want to you get into it? You want to disagree with me? <laughs> you want to disagree? I can't, I, can't take, I can't take an opinion that isn't my own. Just kidding. Just kidding. I, you know, you'll come to notice, Screen Speak, that I, I don't care if somebody says that they don't like a movie that I like. If, if you don't like it, more power to you. It's fine. There are so many movies out there. There's so many choices. The movies speak to you in so many different ways. It's not going to be a big deal if you don't agree with me or disagree with me. But if we're having a conversation about it and it's a stimulating one at that, well, then I've done something right. So there you go. Uh, all that stuff said, I hope you enjoyed hearing me spin my wheels a little bit about Knock at the Cabin. I definitely think it's worth checking out. So if you haven't done so already, go ahead and check it out. I think it may still be in a theater or two by the time this is uploaded. If it's not, I'm sure it'll be available on a streaming service before long. Or better yet, pick up that physical media when it comes out and don't be dependent on a streaming service to watch your favorite movies. Okay? All right. That's all I have, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to my thoughts on this movie. And if you want to hear my thoughts on other movies, well... Check out past episodes of the podcast, or better yet, if you've hit the follow button and you hit the bell, well, then you're going to know the next time an episode comes up. So, ba-ba-bing, bada-boom, bada-bing. Uh, why do all the bada-booms and the bada-bings? I don't know. I'm dragging this out. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. I'll catch you all in the next episode. You take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>